0: Welcome to The Pessel, Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Super Mario. Let me get this straight. A plumber crawled through sewer pipes to kill a turtle with a flamethrower to rescue a princess? I bet she was very happy about all of that. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by New World Networks, news you can grok. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And we're filmmakers, writers, actors, a musician, and someone uh, who once used to be a musician. I used to play trumpet in a high school band. That's a little fun fact for the day.
0: Yeah. Boom. Boom. You win.
1: <laughs> Got all the checks. All the chicks were lined up at my <laughs> locker <laughs> Oh, uh, so much to cover, but the, the basic idea of what we do here on the Pestle is uh, analyze films. And one of the things I like about that is learning. Like, I, I try to avoid things that might actually interest the the audience, <laughs> which is our special sauce. Uh, instead, I, I try to actually just learn, like, what did I learn from watching a movie? Um, and in that way, I try to grow as a filmmaker, as a writer and Whatever else I'm trying to do, you know, maybe sometimes in small ways. But I would be interested if you broke out a pen and pad sometimes, because you're a musician, like a real musician, not one of us uh, high flutin' trumpet players. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'd be interested to see what happens whenever you break out a pen and pad and watch a movie, uh, you know, two or three times and break down a score, like. What's the genre? What instruments are they using? What motifs and when and why? And are there different, I don't know, musical themes that are popping up here and there for different characters? I don't know. I'd be interested, you know, to see what comes out of that. Because anytime I feel like you start talking about things you noticed in the music, you had some really cool stuff that you you pointed out uh, in the Batman with his boots. And I was like, oh, God, that's genius. Never would have thought of that. As a creator, I never would have thought of that, let alone catching the observation and so you hear often uh different things in what i hear and so uh, i'm always interested to see what you pick out of any given film and and how i can like abuse it later in my own process
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that i mean I, i'm st- i'm finding more so that i'm noticing more stuff about when music leaves or is gone or isn't there isn't present and it's just silence or like reality right because I feel like a lot of times filmmakers can use music a little bit as a crutch, right? Oh, we need more energy. Okay. We're going to put some music in here. whereas, you know, a good example, some of the born identity stuff is really great at absence of music where there's so much action already that you don't need the music. And in fact, it's so much more stressful to not have it there. You know, um, I mean, you know, the camera cuts are like super fast and everything. Like It would just get in the way. And they do that brilliantly. And I think I'm starting to notice that more and more, especially with this film in particular with, what's his name? Not, Trent Reznor, Reznor, Reznor yeah. and Atticus Finch did the score here. And they're such minimalists when it comes to score. I absolutely adore it. It's like the opposite of Hans Zimmer, you know, <laughs> which I love as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we all love love our Hans, but... There's just something. I, I think the reason I, I love all their work is because I feel like it's a tone. It's attainable to anybody with a laptop, right? I'm sorry, you cannot write a Hans Zimmer score with your laptop. I don't give. I don't care who you are, how good you are. There's no way. But an Atticus Finch score, Atticus Finch, Trent, Trent Reznor score. I think you probably could. If you could have like a good piano sound, some bells. And maybe a couple other thing- sounds and uh, some pads, and you could probably make something really dope, and that feels really i don't know it just feels it feels good you know when I hear it it feels like i'm you know okay they're not they're trying to stay out of the way, but not because they can't go big, they obviously can go big, but they're just kind of trying they're really trying to do the film it's justice, right, everything they've ever done from this to soul to like social network like everything they've done is very similar in that regard it's small full of motifs like we've talked about and usually they're made up of these small sounds that on their own would be a little bit boring but with everything else they just feel perfectly set in wherever they're supposed to go but but then they also know how to just get out of the way and it's such a refreshing thing you know because not every not every score is like that, right? And and obviously not every movie calls for that. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you just need, you know, uh, Dune was a good example. You just need a, a lot of sound going on with that to tell that story. So, yeah, I guess I'm just noticing that a little bit more now.
1: That's interesting, like, because you say that about, and, uh, you know, Reznor and Atticus. But what I, what I find interesting about that is I, I believe you. Like, you could probably recreate a lot and you might technically only get like 80% of the sound uh, the way they got it, but that's because they have insane closets full of uh, random gear that you, and just thinking about all that stuff kind of drives me insane because I, I see what you have. Like you have uh, this, I don't know, (laughs) tricorder random thing that boxes that plug into other boxes that, you know, plug into more boxes yet and into a whatever. Um, And I see how much, and it's analog, right? It's it's all these sounds that uh, you you better take a picture or else you'll never recreate it because it's knobs and dials. It's not ones and zeros. And how much you have to work at to understand what you can pull out of the box out of this one small thing. And then I see all the closets full of random gear that they have, and I'm like, my God, do they eat or sleep? Because, and so what would that be like for you, I guess, to kind of step into their world and say, hey, Todd, go for it? So,
0: at first, so when I started getting into synthesizers and, and stuff like that, I'll just make this short because that we could have a whole nother <laughs> podcast on synthesizers. Um, it was very daunting. It still is at times, you know, but it's really easy to parse down into, into an idea. Right. So I would imagine that when they go in to start scoring a film, they ask themselves the same questions you would ask yourself as a director of like, what is the story? What is the what is the feeling that I'm that I'm trying that I'm supposed to be conveying right now? Right. And then that will narrow their search for a sound, a particular sound or like a bed of sounds into into, okay, we're going to use this rack right here or we're going to use this instrument. Or let's get some random sound. We have Let's grab something, break it in half, put it back together backwards and see what that sounds like, you know, like whatever. But it just kind of narrows down their wall of synthesizers to like, okay, we're going to go after this sound as opposed to we're going to use this module or we're going to, you know, all all this stuff. I imagine that's the only way that you can do that because like you said those guys got rooms full of all that that stuff and and how do you know where to begin you begin with the the feeling that you're trying to convey and if it's a piano which a lot of times it probably is for them Mm -hmm. which is funny because there's such you know they're into such electronic stuff or whatever but a lot of times it comes down to just like a stringed instrument right like a, a single note on like a an analog instrument and then they can take that and you know digitize it and sample it and do a bunch of stuff but but yeah i would imagine that would be so much fun to be able to do that to go into a room with all that stuff and and yeah it would be overwhelming at first but then once you start kind of once you get that first idea then it just kind of like snowballs from there i would assume i would assume who knows yeah. you know but like some scenes probably need more of like an ethereal kind of feel you know mm-hmm. uh under the motif and others might just want to be more staccato kind of thing I don't know. That would be wonderful. Why don't oh. you make a movie so we can do this?
1: I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, and on that, what uh, what are we covering today? Today we're covering I the girl sure with
0: I <laughs> something doesn't understand. <laughs> today we're covering the girl with a dragon tattoo, uh, the Fincher version. So if you haven't seen that, please pause this episode and go watch it. I believe it's 2011. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Correcto.
1: Yeah. Yep, and we'll talk about really not a lot on my side anyway. Um, I I really wanted to do a deep dive. One of the things we're not going to be talking about, well, I'm not, is cinematography, and visual effects. I feel like you could throw a stone and anyone talking about any David Fincher film will yap you off. That stuff's been picked apart by the vultures already. Um, I'm looking for fresh meat, and so... A lot of, I mean, and it's worth it. I mean, he's a, you know, he, he's a very, he's a technical magician, right? He knows exactly what he's going to do. Um, and it's all slate of hand. You don't necessarily feel his hand. Um, it's just there. And so that stuff is worth studying for sure. And I do study it. But for this movie, I was, I was interested in doing more of a deep dive into some of the story and writing a little bit of the structure scenes that, you know, does this belong here? Why is this a here? Um, and how it adds up? Uh, but even more importantly, I only touch on structure, but I'm, I really was interested in Mikel and uh, Elizabeth's uh, strengths and weaknesses, along with uh, looking at the social customs of the film and other such stuff and things and stuff.
0: And a quick synopsis of the film. Journalist Mikkel Blomkist, is that how we pronounce it? I didn't say their last name <laughs> very much, uh, is aided in his search for a woman who has been missing for 40 years by Elizabeth Sala. Salaz- Salander. Salander. What?
1: Salander. Almost like Salander. Salander.
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah Salamander, but Salander. Who has been missing for 40 years by Elizabeth Salander, a young computer hacker. It's directed by David Fincher. Screenplay by Stephen Zalian. Uh, based on the novel by Stieg Larsson. Cinematography by Jeff Cronenwuth. And starring Rooney Mara as Elizabeth Salander. Daniel Craig as Mikael Blomkist. Christopher Plummer as Henrik Vanger. Stellan Skars- Skarsgård as Martin Vanger and Joey Richardson, Joel Lee Richardson as Anita Vanger.
2: It's possible we could wait forever. You called her and spoke to her, didn't you? I'm afraid that doesn't mean much. No one here particularly likes her. I find it's much better if she works from home. I bet you told her I wanted to meet with her But I've told her many more times I prefer her not to meet clients You like her? Very much She's one of the best investigators I have As you saw from her report But? I'm concerned you won't like her She's different In what way? In every way
1: Miss Salander is here
2: Elizabeth, Mr. Dirk Pröder. How do you do? Something wrong with the report? Oh, it was quite thorough, but I'm also interested in what's not in it. There's nothing not in it. Your opinion of him isn't. I'm not paid to give my opinion. So you don't have one? He's clean in my opinion. Uh, You mean, he's hygienic? He's who he presents himself to be. In his business, that's an asset. Well, there's less in his asset column after his conviction today. True. He made a fool of himself, if it happened that way. Are you suggesting that he was set up? That was never part of my assignment. But you're right. He did make a fool of himself professionally how much of a fool did he make of himself financially the judgment will just about empty his savings may i go moment your report is light in another area his personal life anything you chose not to disclose nothing that warranted inclusion does that mean yes or no i think what miss salander means and i agree is that everyone has a right to a certain amount of privacy even they're being investigated, not in this case. I need to know if there's anything about him I might find unsavory, even if she doesn't. He's had a long-standing sexual relationship with his co-editor of the magazine. It wrecked his marriage, but not hers. Sometimes he performs conolingus. Not often enough, in my opinion. Oh, you're right not to include that.
1: I know. So, that's such a it's important to have a strong intro scene for your title character and she is the title character. She is the girl with the dragon tattoo. And so they do a a really fantastic job of setting up her as a strong willed character in all kinds of ways. And I'll dive into that later, but you probably haven't seen this in several years, I'm guessing. And so I'm wondering if the rewatch brought any, Big refreshers, or if this was exactly the way you remembered it, and um, and also somewhere in there, maybe tell me if if this is your kind of movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> First off, it's yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant film. Everything about it is fantastic. I mean, the rape scene uh, is—it's so—I um, don't know. I can't even talk to it. Uh, and I probably I won't, um, but I love what she does to him. I think it's brilliant and it it really man, you know, sometimes sometimes films can go too far and show show stuff that they just shouldn't show, right? And when I was watching this, I thought, you know, that's just too much, right? It's too too much. But then after after reminding myself from what she does to him, it's, I felt like it was necessary because it really, because she F's his life. I mean, completely F's his life and it's in a wonderful way. Right. And, and in order for the viewer to feel good about all of the terrible things that she uh, does to him after you kind of need to put them in that position with her. You kind of need to do that to the, to the viewer at while it's being done to her and, and feel that and feel the aftermath and everything. And then so that when she goes back to him and she does all of those things, and then I love how they bring it back. And she like randomly, they don't need to show her get into the, into the, um, the, the elevator with him later on and tell him you know what i mean like they don't have to but they do it you know like and don't she tells him not to visit uh uh, tattoo removal sites anymore (laughs) like he is not even free on the internet you know everything is being his whole life is being tracked now and i think that in order for us to feel like good about that we kind of needed to be in that position with her so i I mean, look, Fincher is one of the greatest of all time in my mind. I, I don't it's it's really hard for me to watch any movie of his and think, oh, I would have done this different, different or that different or make or criticize anything. It's just this the cinematography, the lighting, the acting, the directing, like the the, everything writing is just so pristine and clean, even when it's dirty and purposeful that there's no fluff. I mean, this movie is pretty long. And I remember, you know, being halfway in thinking, oh, my gosh, wait, we're only halfway in. But I think everything that happens from now on could happen really quickly. It's weird because I remember how I'm seeing it and I remember what happened at the end. But throughout the whole thing, the pacing is just flawless. You know, it's just really, really good. It moves. It moves quickly, even though it's a longer film and not a ton happens. Right. Right it's pretty basic and pretty like step by step by step. But I think she's such an enigma that, and she makes these weird decisions. Like she just is going to, you know, sleep with Blomquist, you know, like, boom, we're just going to just like takes off her clothes in front of him. Like, okay, are we going to do this or what? (laughs) Um, You know, she just makes these decisions and does these things. And you, so the whole time you're just sitting there asking you like, who is this girl? Like, what is, her story, where is she, you know, wanting to find out more. So every time she is on the screen, I'm just enthralled and trying to learn a little bit more about her. And that goes to the pacing of the film and to the the writing. It's just really, really brilliant in my mind. I, I loved it. It was hard to watch at times and stressful. I remember the first time I watched it, the ending scene where he's tied up and, and held up and, you know, uh, Vanger is about to, you know, do what he does. I was like stressed out hardcore. I was like, I don't want to see that. You know, I, I, <laughs> I did not sign up for that. <laughs> um, so anyway, anyway, yeah, it was, it was really, really brilliant as brilliant this, this time as the last time.
1: Yeah. The rape scene is brutal, um, because of how grounded it is, right? There's all these little details and moments. It's just unrelenting, unblinking crap. I have the movie up right now and it's literally playing, um, So I got to like, look away. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But you know, like he rips her panties off and then smells her ass. It's so disgusting, but so real. Like you believe that kind of person is going to do those kinds of things. And it's like, he's intentionally trying to make it uh, as bad as he can for her. I don't know how much he's enjoying the act versus what he's putting her through. And that's such a brutal delineation between um, my pleasure comes from feeling good versus I feel good by making you feel terrible. And I feel like th- that's the kind of line he's writing in throughout that whole scene. And it's so weird later on uh, when she goes back for retaliation that he seems to have this guilt right before like she F's his life up. Uh, and it's just like, what don't you can't act like a human being now. Um, That's that's insane. But even after, you know, he assaults her that second time, you know, we sit in that for ages, not just in the room, but afterwards, right? She slowly walks back home. um, And even when she gets to the door, like she drops her keys and it's painful to pick up the keys and she's bruised and bleeding in the shower. And so there's all these constant reminders of what she experienced. And then we just sit in it. Sit in the agony for a solid one, two minutes to really let it sink in. Um, we're not going to forget this anytime soon, right? The music is just tearing us apart and it's it, tension. It's nothing but stress and tension until it cuts out and we cut, you know, away to uh, Blomquist, uh Mikael. And you just feel suddenly like, Oh crap. I didn't realize how, how much tension I was carrying in my shoulders um, until we cut away and it's entirely visceral. And so when we go back, Oh man, there's nothing, you know, you feel the pain that he's feeling, but you're also celebrating it. It's a really strange thing. uh, Vengeance, um, righteous vengeance. You know, I I would say uh, because you you feel terrible but you're not going to look away either like i had you know i i would kind of constantly force myself to kind of watch her scene when she's getting you know assaulted but with his scene it's like i don't really want to look away i don't want to witness this but i actually Absolutely it all to happen. Um, it's such a different experience watching those two different scenes. Um, and then I love this little moment. Uh, this gets into performance, I guess, when she goes to tattoo his chest and she sits down on him on a pillow and she tells him, well, I still I've never done this before. And she kind of looks down like she's about to get to work and then she looks back up and there will be blood. (laughs) And then we kind of cut away. Uh, And I love that, that little glance. I I love how she breaks up those two lines. Cause in the dialogue, I don't know what it says um, in the script, but I would imagine that's the kind of thing you, you may just keep as two sentences. Like, lie I still, I've never done this before period. And there will be blood period. Like those are two different sentences that look like you could perform them all in a row. And if you're an inexperienced actor, it's probably your tendency to just spit out all the lines but instead, she experiences something in between those two sentences when she is having a new thought because she's about to get to work and she realizes, I want to terrorize him a little bit more and also inform him in the most unemotional way possible. And so we see her experience and it's so brief, but it adds the reality to the situation when she just glances down to start at work before glancing back up at him. Um, it adds weight. It adds Breath to the scene, and you believe everything that's happening that much more. It's the little moments in acting um, that you don't realize what makes for a great actor versus uh, one who shows up to set with their lines memorized. Those are two different, completely things because one is experiencing things, and she's thinking about what her character is going to be doing. And instead, it's I need to get to work. She's. She, in her mind right there, she probably is about to tattoo a, a, a guy, <laughs> you know, uh, instead of an actor and my my scene partner, right? She's in the headspace of, I'm about to tattoo and let's get to work. Oh, by the way, there's going to be a lot of blood. And then, of course, when we come back to the scene um, after she's done, the carpet has smudges of blood everywhere. It's not like one big blob of blood it's just like she's been constantly wiping it off her hands all over the carpet and it's gory and it's perfect i freaking love it and yeah and so and 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 i love that she did it
0: on his chest because it's he wears that walking around he wears that and yes he can cover it up it's not you know like it would be very simple for her to do it on his forehead Mm -hmm. right or like something like you know very outward but it's like I don't know. I just love that he's able to cover it up, but he knows it's there and he lives with it, right? So he can go to work like normal. He can do all the normal things still, and then she threatens him later that she's going to do it on his forehead. You know, so there's it could get even worse, bro. You know. Anyway,
1: I just yeah. Love there's that a place down a level that we can go, yes. Um, yes. but I also think I think what you're saying is absolutely right, and she says as much in the film. But I also think there's a there's a secret reason, which is she doesn't want to make the news. She values her privacy, and mm. doing that suddenly there's no way to hide what she's done. And now maybe this doesn't go her way, given her history. Right at the end of the film, we learn that uh, she burned her dad alive, and you can only imagine what he did to her to make her do that. Nothing in this film leads you to believe that she's irrational, even though the state has rendered her such right mentally incompetent is what she says and so you imagine she did that for a purpose and for a reason her dad was clearly a piece of shit and so she doesn't know if i go all out will people believe my side of things even with the tape or will i become this public figure that now i no longer have my my own world that i can retreat to yeah And so i'm sure there's layers there um which is what's so good about this movie. There are so many layers, Um, even though the story is pretty straightforward, which I love. I love how straightforward the story is, even though uh, in a lot of ways there's oddities in it because on the the surface, a guy's investigating a murder and that's it, right? Okay, let's add a wrinkle. It's rich people. Okay, let's add a new wrinkle. You know, he's got a a weirdo for a partner. Okay. And the more you kind of dive into it, the more you kind of, keep peeling back the layers the log line is so much more succinct than the depth of the film itself uh because i think maybe the most entertaining part of this movie is he sets out to solve one murder and stumbles into a completely other murder (laughs) he thinks they're related they're not (laughs) um i guess in a way they kind of are but really he he's solves one murder and we'll definitely come back to the, uh, some air quotes on that solves and, and discovers that, you know, the, the person he was investigating was never even dead. Um, and so in a lot of ways he's a failure <laughs> because, <laughs> because he doesn't really, you know, accomplish what he set out to do. Uh, and I just think that's pretty, I don't know, humorous that he, he stumbles into a completely different, uh, case. Um, and, To a large degree, it's not his fault. Like, uh, they do a good job of setting that up early on, right? Where Henrietta, is for this movie, is a bit of a red herring, the entire film. Because when he's introduced to the case, he meets Henrik Vonger, played by uh, Christopher Plummer. And Henrik is like, Harriet was murdered. And here's the circumstances around when she was murdered. He never outright says, at any point in this film, there isn't a body. We never found her body. That's never explicitly stated. Um, and that's just a genius way to fool the audience. Because if you do, uh, you might tip the hat a little bit. So let's avoid the issue. And instead, we're going to constantly refer to Henrietta as having been murdered or dead, etc. Um, so the audience, our expectation is that she is dead. But if you're, if you're really thinking about what you're seeing, you begin to see all these photos of dead bodies, of all these other women that were killed. And you never stop to ask, wait, did we ever see her murder scene? No. No, we didn't. He why would the killer cover her murder up and not all these other ones? And so they kind of tinker with those ideas a little bit, with saying she was looking for him and maybe that's why, you know, he never and they imply I don't think they ever explicitly say at any point that we never find the body. Um, at least not that I remember. But yeah, I love that, you know, instead at the end, he solves our identity, uh, but not the why. And I want to come back to that, please, for the love of God, Wes, do not forget. I'm going to add some right. hashtags because the the point of that <laughs> is very important um, and tied into some of the other stuff. Um, but yeah, I love it. I think you're I think you're dead on Fincher is a master. And before we started rolling, like we were talking a little bit about it's so odd that he would pick this movie to do because it was already done and it kind of brings me back to a conversation we had uh, a few weeks ago about thinking you can do something better than another person (laughs) (laughs) and i wonder if maybe that was a little bit in his head he saw this movie and he was like you know what i can do that better (laughs) and he did (laughs) i think that's the why not i mean you're fincher you probably can (laughs) you probably can um and i love the originals honestly like they were all really good I think I prefer Numi Rapace, uh, her version, a little bit better of her, her depiction, her performance, which isn't to say Rooney is bad. She kicks ass. Uh, she's incredible. But I think experiencing uh, Elizabeth Salander first kind of put the stamp on it for me. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's Numi all day long. But I would say in every other way, I prefer this version. Um, and it's just wild that he said, it's only been three years. It's time for a reboot. <laughs> Yeah.
0: It wasn't like it was like 20 years old. It was, it was just done.
1: Uh, Oh, I wouldn't be surprised if the third film of the Swedish versions was still in theater when this one came out. Like that would not surprise (laughs) me at all. That's how on top of them they all were. But, um, yeah, I'll dive into a few things and feel free to shout out, uh, anything that strikes your fancy, sir. Lightly, I want to look at some of the structure um, because I think what you said is right. Like it builds perfectly and without waste. Every scene adds up to something, right? Um, Scenes that feel like, what are we doing here? What's the point, right? Maybe at the beginning, we're sitting in the coffee shop. We've met Elizabeth and now we're sitting in a coffee shop. She has this Bobby Fisher book and you're just like, what's going on? And she's checking her phone and nothing. Of course, that leads to the discovery of her guardian being found on the floor maybe dying right which that whole sequence reveals a whole new side to her because up until that point we were starting to get the impression she's a badass but kind of an asshole now you reveal this other side that she's actually very caring she has a very real relationship with kind of a father figure right she has love in her life and it's very redeeming and adds depth to what was shaping up to be uh, a very unlovable character um and so just seeing her uh go through those motions and begging the, 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 doctor, like he has nobody, please like tell me what you can. And, and it's so good. And then of course that whole storyline of losing her father figure slash, you know, guardian leads to being under this new government authority figure, right. Which of course leads to her being repeatedly sexually assaulted and ultimately plays into a lot of the themes of this film you know, feminization and victimization of of men victimizing women. And it's, it's, you know, it's perfect. And then of course we have another scene that feels random where she's in the subway and this dude snatches her bag and she like briefly beats his ass, screams in his face and gets away, but she breaks her laptop. So on the one hand, this is a very random incident and randomness is usually a no-no uh but i think it does a lot of uh a lot of things for one it shows that she has fight right she's someone coming after her she's go that's not enough i don't care if if you're bigger than me or whatever like she went straight after this guy and got her stuff back um was not afraid to get in his face and ultimately make her escape and but it also there's a million other ways you could have broken her laptop and they chose this way uh uh specifically. And so, but I also like that this works against our hero in a way to push the story forward. And so it wasn't her incompetence or anything like that. Uh it was some dude being a jerk. But now it's put her in a position where she needs money. And now she needs permission from her social worker, which of course leads us to reveal his intentions of abusing his authority and ultimately her retaliation. Allah the the rape, two rapes, right? Um mm-hmm in his office and then in his house. Uh, and then of course her, uh, unrelenting revenge, uh, which is best served cold. Yeah. And so let's, let's look a little bit deeper into our, our two lead characters because they do a great job of creating strong characters. Um, and strong doesn't always mean strength, you know, it just means they stand out. They have distinct characteristics, Um, and so let's first look at Mikael because I spend, I want to spend a lot of time looking at Elizabeth. Uh, she is worth it. So Mikael is interesting. He gets a call in the middle of this dinner, right? He gets a call from Wenger's lawyer and he's like, Hey, I'm busy. And the the lawyer is like, yeah, I know you're at dinner like me. Um, he's like, he's like, no, it's not that. And he's like, Oh yeah, you're legal trouble. I know all about that too, of course. And I just think it's kind of comical that an investigative journalist has no idea how much everyone else knows his business. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. they're all up in his business. And of course, throughout the movie, he spends a lot of time asking questions and observing, or at least trying uh, because ultimately uh, Mikhail is a bit of a hilarious character um, subtly, which because uh, he's, he's kind of an incompetent bumbler, right? I'm not saying he's terrible at his job. He's decent, but he's not amazing, right? And I think to some degree, uh, it's indicative of maybe being a man, right? That he can be careless with his personal safety, right? <laughs> How many times is he just out alone, not really paying attention? He's not good at being quiet or discreet, um, which almost gets I mean, him killed. He falls down the, the hill
0: at the end, <laughs> he slips down the hill when he's trying to escape the house. And so the guy sees him and invites him in, like... Uh. He's yeah, a, you're right. He's bumbly.
1: He's a doofus, right? And he's also flawed in his work. He's he's not great at his work, even though he's hired to be this amazing journalist. And it makes you start to think how much was, uh, I didn't write her name, but uh, Robin Wright's character really involved with helping him with his work. Uh, it kind of begs this question once you kind of step back and look at it from a, a macro level, uh, because at the end of the day, Elizabeth, you know, saves his life, of course, but she also brings him justice by revealing Werner Strom's corruption. Um, and ultimately brings Werner to to justice in a sense, um, because a hit gets put on Werner at the end of the, uh, of the movie, right? He gets a mob hit. And I think there's, after watching this, this is probably my, I don't know, ninth time, eighth time of seeing this wow. film. I st- started to finally put together, maybe that's why he drifted apart from Elizabeth is because he saw he put together what she did and what what happened with Werner Strom. it got him killed and maybe that's just not his thing right he's not about uh just kind of getting people killed that wasn't justice to him even if the other side of it was i don't know he doesn't there's nothing overt about the ending which i i really love that it's layered and you can kind of pull what you want and Ultimately, I, I side more with Elizabeth than than with Mikael, but I think that layer is there if you want to start to analyze why Mikael um goes back to this other woman. But going back to him being kind of uh, incompetent, he gets his big break right in the case from his daughter about the Bible code. Like she saw that, she gave it to him. He's like, oh oh, what's this? Blah, 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 blah. I figured it out. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, you did not, sir. Um, and then of course. After that, it leads to this other whole string of things. Um, he gets his big break, another big break, maybe the last one, on the photographs. He gets that from Lisbeth, who sees, who says he should get pictures from the other woman in the photo, taking f- photographs. Mm-hmm. He missed that. And so now he has to track down this woman in the photograph, which he does, you know, to his, to his credit. And ultimately, the woman gives him the photo that helps him solve his case for uh, the murderer of women, so to speak. And so he gets all his breaks from women, <laughs> like. And I just want to pause on that just for a second because I love that, especially because this movie uh, was written by men, whether you're talking about the book or the adapted screenplay, um, and it was directed by a man. And I just really appreciate that you have men who are not afraid to tackle uh, these issues, because I think it could have been very easy to make him look very competent. And like he is on the ball um, and all you got to do is change a thing or two here. They're really sentences. And then he suddenly looks like he's on the ball, but withholding those things and making other women kind of put him in charge uh, of his destiny. is So he thinks, right. They're giving him the ammunition, even if he's, But
0: but in a way that's not so overt, it's not so just like, Hey, there's women here to save the day. No, it's just. It's part, it feels very part of the story and interwoven into, into the things that are happening. Like, I didn't even notice that until you just brought it up. And, and I thought, yeah, you're right. It is women who are basically saving the day. But I didn't notice that. Yeah. And I love that because in most movies where it's men doing that or there's a strong man or whatever, I'm not thinking, oh, it's a man doing that. You know, it's not part of, like, like the expectation. It's just happening. And that's very much how it feels in this regard. Like, even for Elizabeth, who is just the... We know she's the badass of the movie. We know she's the heroine. She's the one who's going to save the day, and she does. We know that. But when it happens, it's just kind of expected. Instead, because that's what her character would do. Instead of, like, like, oh another strong woman that we're going to add, you know, because women now women are strong in Hollywood, in, like there's a way to do this, right? There's a way to, to have these paradigm shifts that still make a film really strong to have more African-American, um, uh, actors and actresses in films without it being like, Hey, let's add another black person, oh. you know, like, no, like like let's interweave it into the storyline in such a way that it's almost like, yeah, absolutely. That's
1: just, you don't even think about it. You know, it's part of their character. These are all just human beings at the end of the day and let's let them be human beings. Um, I love that. And also it's good to know that, you know, for one men are capable of that and to be reminded of that because I could see maybe even in 2022, you know, 11 years later, uh, a guy being hesitant to say, man, this is really a uh, a story about the empowerment of women. and I don't want to touch that. Uh, you can do it with your eyes open, you know, and as much as, you know, we need women and minority figures to to step in and create stories with their voices. It's okay to still be a white dude telling stories that ain't going away anytime soon, you know, and that's okay. We need all voices. Uh, and I, I just love that this particular story came through. Couple dudes, uh, three dudes, you know, and it didn't hold any punches. They and it, it really, yeah, it's all underhanded. Everything they're doing um, is subversive in the most yeah. delectable way possible, uh, as we will uh, get further into um, because it, it doesn't get better. <laughs> <laughs> so let's look at Elizabeth because she is incredible. Uh, the intro sets a really strong tone for her character. Right, she's late. And the guy's like, did you call and speak to her? And he's like, that wouldn't mean much. That's not going to get us anywhere. Uh, she doesn't care. And in fact, I, I prefer that she doesn't even meet clients. Why? Because she's unlikable. And of course, uh, at towards the end of that scene, right. He asks for her opinion and she's hesitant to give an opinion. And I, that's just thinking about that in the context of talking about feminism. Um, you can derive a lot out of that and, I think one way, and I wouldn't say this is the way, but one way is in holistics of her character, opinions are personal. And that kind of thing is a vulnerability. She avoids that. She avoids being vulnerable. So whenever he asks her for opinion and she starts talking about this uh, relationship that he was in, right? And she ends it with doesn't give her cunnilingus often enough, in my opinion. And it makes everyone uncomfortable. And there's so many great layers to this little moment, which is for one, it hints at her views on one-sided male relationships, right? That's a feminist tone. Like, oh, it's, he's all about you know getting his and he doesn't give often enough. Uh, that's a really strong uh, note coming from her. Uh, but she also uses this as an opportunity to be honest in a way that's confrontational while also revealing she has a kind of respect for Mikhail's privacy because she didn't include this in the report. She didn't think it was appropriate. But at the same time, she felt completely unencumbered with going there and, and seeing that stuff for herself. And so she's, uh, because how would she know that? She probably spied on them through the webcam. So she has no problem violating his privacy. She just doesn't want to reveal that to everyone else. That For her, that's for her but it also demonstrates her emotional intelligence because she's reading deeply into their relationship including how it started, right? How it affected both of them. They were, they both had an affair and it affected both of them differently, um, which is getting into uh, kind of the feminism of Mikael, right? Uh, he's not a very masculine character, which we'll come back to. And uh, I love how at the end uh, or somewhere towards the middle, I guess, the the ricochet like makes him bleed and, he she patches him up, and he's wincing and groaning about his yeah. cut. <laughs> he's just whinging the <laughs> yeah. whole time. <laughs> and he's just he's not a super masculine dude, and he's okay with that. And I love that. Yeah. I love that kind of security in him being like vulnerable like that. That's that's mm-hmm. really cool. And so they're they're inverting these common tropes of men and women, uh, and they're you know spinning them on their face. And I I really enjoy that. So let's look at her look. Elizabeth has a very very strong look, uh, if, you, if you didn't notice. For one, she dyed her white abro- eyebrows white. And I find that interesting because you get a lot of information about someone through their eyebrows. It's subtle, right? It's how you show surprise, curiosity, thoughtfulness. Like, there's a lot that happens through your eyebrows. Um, and I know we often think the eyes are windows to the soul. Uh, but it's as much the eyebrow is a part of the eye as anything else. And so she's trying to hide and conceal her, her eyebrows and her expressions through dyeing her eyebrows white. That's just a brilliant little tactic on her part. And of course she has all these loud piercings, right? The lip is pierced. Her nose is pierced. Her eyebrows pierced. Her nipples are pierced. Like she's just got them everywhere. Um, And then she wears black, right? Which is dark, a lot of darkness. It's opaque. Um, And so darkness, distraction, those things are her shield and how she hides herself from the world. And I'm sure that's part of her style and what she enjoys, but I think that's why she enjoys those things. It's because of what it can conceal about how she's thinking and feeling. Um, and it's her her attempt at just hiding her vulnerability from the world. Her voice is interesting, right? She rarely speaks. When she does, it's usually quiet. She doesn't yell a lot, almost ever, Even in uh, even at the end when she's about to go kill this dude. Uh, she, she almost whispers, you know, may I kill him? (laughs) So even in times of urgency, she's not very big. And when she uh, gets her revenge, she uses her voice very powerfully without yelling. And I think that's, that speaks volumes and it adds to her power, um, adds to her oddness, how rarely she talks adds to her confidence when she speaks. It's with a purpose and is also one way that she also hides herself from the world. Loose lips sink ships or whatever, right? The more you talk, the more people understand and know about you. And so she uses it sparingly and with specificity. uh, And that's a very strong character decision to write her in that way. Her sexuality, that's clearly on the table in this film. Um, And I love it. I love how they use her sexuality to demonstrate uh, her power, actually. Um, She doesn't let her assaults determine her sexuality that could have been very easy to, to let that be that. And, um, say that, Oh, she's re- withdrawing, not just from sexuality, but from men specifically. Right. And that's not what she does. Um, she doesn't let her assaults determine any part of her life. Um, I mean, pretty soon after she hooks up with a woman. And so on the one hand, the first instinct is, Oh, she's gay, which adds to the impact of the assault by by a man. It's like, Oh man, you know, Not only was she assaulted, but she was assaulted uh, by someone that she wants nothing to do with ever. And so but then you kind of step back and you start to say, wait, is it related or is she just gay? I don't know. And so they're starting to add all these layers. And uh, there's potentially a lot of questions for the audience to wrestle with. And they're all dark and they're all, um, you know, uncomfortable. And that's a great emotional complexity to throw on the viewer. Uh, it's, it's genius. And so when she finally, you know, uh, hooks up with Mikael, uh, she asserts herself onto him, right? She's very self-assured and with no issues on men. And, and, you know, she isn't judging all men by the one who hurt her, but of then, of, from then on, of course, their relationship is pretty inverted. As I was saying a, a little bit ago from social norms, right? Not just in, in her asserting herself you know onto him sexually but sex ends when she climaxes not him right at the end of the film um he's he's almost checked out (laughs) he's thinking about Mm -hmm. the case and she's like no not yet and then she finishes and now it's like okay what what do you want to talk about (laughs) like that's so good um and of course you know Throughout the relationship, like, he gets her coffee, and I think he even cooks for her at one point, right? She eats like a slob. Like, everything about their relationship is, um, you know, uh, flipped around from what you would assume happens between men and women. Uh, And it's, I think it's beautiful. I I love it. Me too. I love, too, that she's also affectionate and intimate. She's not, like, an asshole with Mikael. Like, she actually cares very deeply about him, and she demonstrates it in little ways the little moment with his hand in her shirt, right? And she, he pulls it out and she, she's like, Hey, put your hand back inside my shirt. Um, cause she liked being touched. She's so she's not like some completely introverted, like I want what I want when I want it. Um, even though that's there, but it's also like soft, there's a softness to her um, that you get to see throughout the film. And that's beautiful. And ultimately of course her assault, uh, does add emotional value on her interest in the, uh, in the Harriet case. Because, of course, she wants to stop a killer of women. Yeah, that that does interest me. Um, And Mikhail does a great job of pitching it to her because he he gets right to the chase. Like, it doesn't matter the who, the what. It only matters the why. Here's why you want to catch this guy. Um, And that's his journalism instincts kind of kicking in for once. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna keep back this guy because I Yeah, I was gonna I, say I think he's hilarious. <laughs> it's <fine. laughs> and it's great, you know, just to think about it in that way because this is not a comedy. Um, but it, if you abstract enough, you know, like it's 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 pretty funny. But let's also look at her intelligence. For one, she's in control constantly. We never technically see her out of control. The one time we kind of do is um after the uh the she meets the 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 new guardian the new social worker the the rapist pig and he's like giving it to her verbally and he's just saying you know you can do things my way or you know how do you feel about being institutionalized like he's got her squared away and she she's powerless he has all the power in this in this situation and she what what we see she goes into the elevator and just after it closes just after she's out of sight We hear her scream out of control. That's the closest I think we ever get to seeing her out of control. Um, Because there's another time we see her scream, but that's very much in control. She's asserting her dominance over this mugger, and that's with intention. And so this other time is out of control, and we don't get to see it. Yeah, I love that. She also doesn't need notes, right? She has a photographic memory, and I love how she just (laughs) sarcastically, uh, whenever uh, Mikael starts giving her all the clues and he's like, there's this, and there's this, and there's this. Um, she walks away and he's, he's like, Hey, where are you going? What are you doing? She's, I'm getting the work. Don't you want your stuff? I, she's like, I got it, but you can keep talking if you want. <laughs> like, if it makes you feel better, little child, I like, keep going. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, also, Oh man, there's these, I'm sure I didn't pick up all of them. Uh, but there is one that I caught, which is when she breaks into the building, She listens to the keypad to get the door code. She hears the pitches of the numbers. She doesn't turn and look and sees what she, she punches, you know, for the four digit code, getting into the, the, whatever the living place. Uh, what do you call those things? Not an apartment, I guess, but condos. Yeah. She literally listens. And in order to get the, the code. And then she goes, uh, and takes pictures, right? She does recon, um, of the internet routers, then returns later to get her, uh, to, to tap into it and put her gear in. Um, she's, she's not stupid, uh, obviously, but she's also not careless because, uh, there's, that's a lot of data and she probably doesn't want to tarry. And so pictures are going to be faster. You can get in and out with a picture and then have those details later. So even if she has photographic memory, uh, let's not be careless, um, Let's, let's get in there and get out. Uh, But because she does, she uses technology as her weapon, right? Whether it's the camera taser, right? The rapist pig, social worker, she capacitates him. She can't overwhelm him. Instead, she'll use technology to get the advantage. Uh, The golf club to the face of Martin. Again, she can't physically overwhelm him. She'll use, even though it's simple, it is technology. Uh, There's a lot of tech that goes into a really good golf club. Um, I'm sure you could probably tell us. And so, Uh, At the end, right after that, right, she outsmarts Martin by just driving smarter. She knows what he wants, what he wants to do, and she lulls him into swerving out of control, which was her plan. Like, I see no reason to think that that was an accident. That seems entirely in her control and just her playing chess uh, to go back to the little iconography of the chessboard. At the beginning and at the end, she thinks several moves ahead and she was playing chess in their cars. And then, of course, her, maybe her ultimate use of her intelligence was stealing a billion euros while dealing justice for her boyfriend. Like, because you see him punching the number like three point two billion dollars. And she sees that. She's like, yep, that looks about right. And then on the news later, we hear, yeah, we we discovered two billion dollars in accounts. Like, oh, wait, there's about a billion dollars that's missing in that in that calculation, if you're paying attention. And so mm-hmm. she, she's doing quite well for herself. Uh, good investment, as, as uh, she would say. Um, but all, all that to say, um, she has a lot of dimensionality, very little of which is spoken. It's just through her actions. We're going to see what she does and piece together why she's doing what she's doing. Um, it it demands a lot of the audience, but it's all there on the screen for you to piece together. And it's freaking genius. Social cues. Let's discuss that because the the killer makes a big deal about it at the end. And so this is where I promise if y'all ever want to do what I'm doing, it's, it's all there at your fingertips. Watch a movie twice. Once, just watch it. And then the second time, watch it again with in mind what you saw the first time, like, what was the ultimate conclusion? And if it's a good movie, you'll see those things repeated throughout. And so the killer makes a really big deal about social customs, right? I find it odd that people ignore their own safety just to favor uh, social convention, right? The, if, the fear of offending someone is more important yes. than the fear for your own life and safety. Like, what the hell? Uh, and so I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to watch the movie thinking about social cues. And man, they're a big deal. They're constantly used. I bet they're in every single scene. I would willing to bet at least 90% of the scenes have some version of a social cue for instance. Like give me an example. So yeah. Mikhail's daughter prays over her food. Mm-hmm. Mikael is about to dive in when he witnesses, Oh, she's praying. I need to stop. That's a social cue. Right. And then he misses another social cue when he's talking to her right then and there, because he says, you know, you can tell me anything no matter what or how uncomfortable it may be. She's like, that's literally what I'm trying to do right now. And you're not seeing it, right? She's, she's trying to say that she's Christian and this is important to her. She's shouting it through her her actions and through her deeds. And uh, he's not hearing it. He missed the subtle nuance of her communicating to him, um, which is, again is emblematic of the movie and the idea of feminism and what men struggle to understand about women. A lot of those idea uh, ideas, anyway. And so Miguel is often a slave to social customs. He's feeding a cat he's not responsible for. Why? You, This cat's got nothing to do with you, buddy. Um, but he's a softie. And the, and the very first thing he does is go buy cat food. Actually, the first thing he does is look if there is any cat food. <laughs> and when he sees there isn't, he immediately rushes out to buy it. I think that might be the only thing he buys. He's just like, I need to... Uh, I got to take care of this cat now. I'm <laughs> like, why? Because he feels socially compelled. That's the right thing to do, according to social customs. And so uh, even whenever he comes back, right, he catches the bottle that almost falls off the fridge, right? Oh, I can't let that break. Um, that would be wrong. Why? Who cares? It's not your stuff. I it-
0: loved that moment. I loved
1: that moment. I don't know why, but. It's small, right? And part yeah. of you, because watching that, you're like, oh, wow, that that felt random. That felt so human. Yeah. And it just felt like that just really happened on right then and there. I doubt that just was a random thing. Like, maybe. that, But knowing how Fincher likes to film everything 75 times, uh, it just doesn't feel like the kind of thing that uh, would have been completely random. Um, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a digital thing. I don't know. Who knows? But he does that. He goes outside to smoke. Right? Uh, Mikhail? Uh, others smoke inside in spite of being told otherwise, even the rich family, right. That's their entitlement. Uh, the, the nurse comes out and like, you can't smoke in here. She stares at him. Uh, she stares back. And then the, uh, uh, Martin just kind of like groans a little bit like, Oh, get lost. Like we'll smoke where we damn well, please. We're the vongers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Except he's so he's a slave to social customs maybe except when he intends to defy them. So he has to really set his mind to it because getting Elizabeth's name from the security firm, he has to threaten with legal action. Uh, That's not very sociable of you. And then of course he bursts into Elizabeth's apartment. So he's felt wronged by her. And now he's going out of his way to break with convention. And so that seems to be the only time that he ever (laughs) breaks out of the, uh, the social customs is when he really sets his mind to it. Like, no, I will not. I'm I'm a man. <laughs> Hear me meow. And so, yeah, and you don't believe it at all. Not at all. And I love that they give him a cat, not a dog. Yeah, not a dog. Yeah, they give him a cat. That's, oh,
0: good point. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, because yeah, it makes more sense. Like yeah, feed the damn dog.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah, right. But a cat
0: is yeah, a cat can take care of itself. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, uh, and so Elizabeth, by stark contrast, is impervious. May be highly annoyed by social conventions, right? So, I, for instance, early, uh, early on in their relationship, I love her watching Mikhail bumble on the laptop. Like she's like, "It's a shame you don't have more pictures of her." He's like, "Oh, let me show you something, uh, 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 monkey. How does laptop work?" <laughs> like it's, and she's just staring at him, and you can feel her seething. Like, "Oh my." God, would you figure it out already? It's just really entertaining to watch her frustration. and But she doesn't say anything. She just kind of deals with his ineptitude, which is what everyone's kind of doing with him. And so, <laughs> uh, and of course, she, by ignoring social convention, she also reveals social customs. So at the intro, right, she ignores the guy when she walks into the room, right, greeting people. She's not up for that. She's not answering or responding if she doesn't feel like it or for the, for, if, there, if there's nothing to say. Like, we do these things all the time where, you know, you just nod or say, yeah, in agreement, even though no one's asked you anything. But I just said, yeah, because I want you to know that I'm listening. It's a it's it's a thing that we do as humans. The fact that we say, uh, and um, like those are just little social cues uh, to place hold our our conversation to say that, hey, I'm letting you know I'm not done talking. Uh. Uh, here's my next sentence. I'm trying to think of what I want to say next. So uh she doesn't do any of that. She's very direct and she knows exactly what she's what she wants to say, and she's not gonna say a single word that doesn't need to be said. And of course, she doesn't look people in the eye, which is called to attention in her first meeting with the uh with the rapist pig mm-hmm. and all these things, right? Uh the murdered cat reveals something, right? Mikhail recoils, he is horrified. She gets a camera. She documents it. <laughs> she is unconcerned with their age gap, which is a f- socially frowned upon. I don't know what their age difference is. Let's say, you know, 25, 30 years. Who knows? But he even objects to this based on their age difference. But, of course, he also does not resist, right? A social convention says a man does not turn down sex. I think that might be one thing you could add as a layer onto it. Because he doesn't really seem interested. He's like, I have some standards. Oh, no, here we go. <laughs> like, okay, let's go. Yeah. Um, and so he's he can't say no. He can't refuse. The social pressure is there. She is persistent, doesn't follow requests, right? The, she's told very explicitly, leave the keys with security. And ultimately, their survival, hers and his, relies on her ignoring Social conventions, mm-hmm. because uh, maybe the implication of how a woman is to survive in a male-dominated culture, right? By knowing and breaking social convention, she was told very explicitly leave the keys, and she doesn't, which means uh, Martin does not get a phone call from security, letting him know she's on his her way. So she's got the drop. Um, she goes back, and of course her. Uh, her distaste for social convention also let her put cameras up all over the place, which let her know where Mikhail went in the first place. Right. And so that was able to lead her into saving his life. Yeah. And of course, oh man, he is strung up helpless at the end, a lot like how she was in the beginning of the film when she was assaulted, except there was no one who stepped in to save her. But she steps in to save him. Even he says this later on whenever he's talking to Anita. And she's like, "Um, how'd you get away? Someone was there to save me. Boom. Hmm. Women are the heroes. Amazing. Harriet was saved by Anita. Yeah. And of course, at the end, she, uh, uh, Elizabeth, asked permission to kill Martin. Now, this is really interesting because maybe it's not because she needs permission, but maybe Mikhail is her guide to social convention and probably thinks it could offend him and thereby damage their relationship. hundred percent. And so agree with you that. You know, yeah. that's, that's how she's engaging. Like I, my instinct is to kill this motherfucker. Is that, is that okay? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> like he's just, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so there's probably other ways to interpret that moment and that's okay. Um, that's I think one of the significant ones though. And it's interesting that the thing that uh, Frida Nita uh, at the beginning of the film, right? A car wreck with leaking gas that does not explode uh, becomes kind of her cover to escape, you know, and and hide out. Everyone's concerned about dealing with that. And she kind of slips away, hides, gets away the next morning, right? That collision is kind of indicative. That's a loaded gun, right? That oil, the the gas never explodes. Yes. Until the end. It's the very thing that kills Martin at the end, right? A car wreck with leaky gas, the bomb finally goes off, right? And so he kind of loads the gun at the beginning uh, to let it go off at the end. And I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and, also, and and maybe even in a way, saves her. She didn't have to kill him. Definitely. Right? And yeah. that that yeah. Can, that can does a lot of damage. Because
0: that's the one thing that we haven't seen her do is actually,
1: yeah.
0: is actually take a life, right? And so that puts her in a whole nother category of is she good? Is she bad? Like it's one thing for a character to, to want and be willing to kill another character, but to actually do it. then that puts them into a different category, I think. So that, yeah, you're right. that's how I felt when he, when it exploded, I felt, I felt like relief that I didn't see her pull the trigger.
1: Yeah. You know, cause she set it up and maybe that's good enough. That's satisfying enough mm-hmm. to know I beat you, but I don't have to kill you because ultimately yeah. he killed himself right? It was his bloodthirst. He didn't have to swerve at her. He could have, you know, kept driving. Now she might've caught up and, and shot out a tire or whatever, but she didn't get the chance. He was so savage. And so, you know, I don't know, you can probably read a lot into that little action of rage and trying to kill her. And I wouldn't be surprised if they have some, some inserts of him in the car screaming and um, his face mangled or whatever, you know, just really upset that a woman got the best of him. The mm-hmm. the thing that he's looked down on all these years, uh, is the is the thing that ultimately did him in. And really, it wasn't even her; it was him and uh, his decisions. And so it was it's, it's a very nice layered collapsing in on his, uh on himself, um, thing that's happening. But going back to uh, H- uh Henrietta, which I'm glad I didn't forget because. He solves her identity. Mikhail does solve her identity, but not the why, right? Anita has to tell him the why that she was abused by her male authority figure and then her brother. And it's interesting that she, we, we find out in the flashback that she killed her father and she did it with an or, which uh, I think you could read into with all the other conversation here, that it's this phallic object that, you know, she's just taking his life with and it's it's a bit of revenge in the same way that you know Elizabeth takes revenge in the same way that that guy assaulted her right he raped her and she shoves a nice phallic thing up his butt too much more violently uh, than he could have ever wished for <laughs> <In> that <laughs> moment oh, my oh gosh. and then she kicks yeah, it yeah great twice. point yeah and so the but I will say this. So I've been, you know, beating on Mikhail all episode and, but I will say this. It was his sensitivity to social convention that helped him solve her identity. Right. Cause he just sits and observe and he sees what she doesn't do. When she finds out about Martin's death and revelation, she doesn't follow social customs. If that was really, you know, a cousin and not a brother, you react differently. Um, than the way she did um, and, and so he was able to piece that together because of his sensitivity to uh, social norms yeah and so this whole movie you could watch just through that lens of social customs and find all these little tiny bits and pieces of oh yeah that is a little bit of a, a social custom either uh, in keeping or in defiance
0: yeah that's brilliant and and especially the the part at the end where she asks that she can kill him that you brought up but I, I totally agree with you there because it's the first time she's really asked anything, anybody for any permission for anything, like, True. you know, the whole, the whole movie, yeah. she just does stuff. Um, so when that happened, I, I remember thinking, why is she asking him? Just go, just, just like, I'm going to kill him. Like, you know, yeah. or even say it and wait for Mikel to sit to corroborate and say, yes, go kill him. But no, she doesn't say, I'm going to kill him and wait for that. She says, may I kill him? She like literally asks him for that because I think it's, it's also, she's also so smart, man. And, and she knows that that's something you can't take back, right? You can take back all, you know, all the other, like the research and the, and the, um, everything that she's done to that point, you know, but if she kills him, maybe there's something that they need to get out of him and she's not thinking straight because she, she needs to go. She needs like he's getting away, and so just basically it was them as a team deciding, yeah. yes, this needs to happen, right? It, the relationship, um, and and obviously we find out at the end where, you know, she's thinking that they still have a relationship and they're going to be together possibly or whatever. That she thinks that their relationship is growing together, whereas he's seeing it as parallel lines, right? And it's yeah. it's just you bumped into me a couple of times and now I'm going to continue with my life and that's a heartbreaking scene there at the end for me because I just feel like I think for you too for us because as viewers because yeah, throughout this whole thing you know to your point earlier she's just been treated terribly for, you know not just by men but yeah particularly by men and then so for this relationship which we feel is a good balance for her right it's not like another another one of her which would be be toxic it's it's the opposite almost of her socially social cue wise right this guy who can see the social cues who can respond to them in a way that's acceptable to society which she's in pretty much incapable of doing kind of like getting her not on a straight and narrow path but more along the lines of like semblance of an of a quote-unquote normal life and we're seeing that as, you know, possible, like possibility. And then for her to, to see them together and then realize that that's not going to happen and then to drive away, right? And we watch her drive away from that, right? So the camera then positions itself to where basically they were walking towards or, you know, and then she's driving away from that. And it's it's like such a heartbreaking moment, you know?
1: Yeah, and they set it up so well by her confessing to her father figure, right. I found someone. Yeah. I think he's a really good friend. Mm -hmm. And then she goes and gets this replicated leather jacket that she saw in an old photo of him, which is combining her sensitivity with probably going too deep into his personal life. (laughs) Where did she get that photo? Yeah. (laughs) Um, but she's doing something sweet with it. Right. And the guy says, um, um, this isn't for me. It's for a friend. He must be a very good friend. And they're just reinforcing this expectation that she has of what you're saying. Like she, she has this vision for maybe I could join society now that I have a guide and someone that I can trust, someone that I care about, um, and someone who, who I think gets me. And then, just- and how
0: clueless is Mikkel? Cause like you don't do that. And then just go back to your life and where this, and it's not just that they slept together multiple times. She saved his life. Like, <laughs> she saved his life. And then you're just going to, like, go on with your life like normal. And his career.
1: She and saved his, his career. Life and it's his just, career. Un-
0: it's kind of unbelievable. And it makes me hate him. You know, like, yeah. if there's someone who is so sensitive to social cues, like like we mentioned, um, and that's his character, he's completely oblivious yeah. because he's a selfish prick. Yeah. Let's be honest. He's just, a, he's... You know, and I think that Daniel Craig played that so perfectly because unless you have a friend like Wes, who can identify these social cues um, throughout the whole thing, you're just thinking, oh, this is a guy who, who is good at what he does, but he needs some help. Mm -hmm. No, he's kind of a, he's kind of a prick and clueless loser, honestly. And, uh, and then to see, to talk about all of those moments you brought up and then, and then it culminates in the end where he's so clueless that he's he can that he's breaking her heart and it is just it's 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 heartbreaking but but also I love the decision to not let him know that he's breaking her heart the movie oh. ends with him completely clueless
1: forever because she leaves she leaves and it's so perfect in keeping with her character she literally, there's people all over America right now that say, I don't care what other people think. They don't mean it. Mm-hmm. If you're hurt, you often want people to know that you're hurt. That's a very human thing. Yeah. She really means it. She does not care what other people think. And might be the, you know, the, the first person in humanity <laughs> to really truly <laughs> yeah. believe that. Because for her, to let him know is to be vulnerable and to admit you got to me and that just will not do. Oh, yeah. It's perfect keeping with her character and it's Yeah. Uh, and, and not just
0: hers but his and yeah. and to leave him like like I said he's clueless forever now. Yeah. Like you will always be that way, you know. There is no more development for you yeah. as a human being. You're done. You know, but her there's still there's still possibility, right? But yeah, good point. And she just throws it in the trash the the jacket like very expensive jacket she just throws she you're right she literally does not care and why would she? she's got billions of yeah. uh, dollars but still anyway so yeah. good great points man nice Jeez.
1: yeah any other thoughts man uh did you pick out anything with uh resner and Naticus? i mean
0: it's just the there were motifs in there for yeah. sure but i i loved the stuff for example the clip you played was just brilliant there was no motif there was nothing it was just like a pad of sound right that would rise and fall would like ebb and flow and just kind of you know get a little bit bigger a little bit more intense and stuff and and the intervals that they use are really they're really kind of like small intervals so it feels a little little spooky but still familiar in a way and and then a lot of the stuff they did at night especially around the house that they were living in on the, on the property was really strong stuff. It was not, I don't mean in particular, like when they were up at the, at Martin's place, right? I mean, the stuff like when they're around the house and not much is happening and you're leaning a little bit more on the sound on the, on the musical pieces. I loved all of that stuff because it was a little bit more fleshed out. It was a little bit more note driven rather than kind of drone feel just to kind of push those those scenes forward a little bit a little bit more you know aggressively I guess you know and then they would just lay back when stuff was happening so so good so good and I I would also like to say that the casting of Stellan Skarsgård was bad because he's so good at being a bad guy you immediately know he's the bad guy you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's so good. Like I look at the guy, and I just think you're killing people in your basement. And you know, <laughs> and I tried to watch it again. I knew he was the be- he was the guy, but I tried to watch it again, like putting that out of my mind. And they they do a really great job if you haven't seen this movie before of throwing you off because he he says things like, "No, give him all that he needs. What does he need? He needs access to everything uh, from the mm. the company." for a hundred years give it to him you know he's just like it's all kind of kind of like your bring your hold your friends close your enemies closer kind of thing he knew that that this guy could bring him down but let's give him everything that's you know and um so they do a decent job but there's only so much you can do because the dude is so creepy just in general and and uh, as an actor and so i kind of just always saw him as like the bad guy anyway uh, but yeah, he's fantastic. He's so creepy. And that whole scene of them in the basement is scary as hell because of him. And it's it's kind of weird because that kind of scene could really, I don't know, could fall flat a little mm-hmm. bit, right? It, 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 that's the kind of thing that's like really hard to do because you his character needs to be creepy as hell and deranged as hell but at the same time completely together he's been doing this for 40 years more his dad was doing it this is a guy who's done it dozens of times and gotten away with it every single time and and you know goes to sleep normal wakes up normal and everyone thinks is normal so he has to be a hundred percent together during that scene but obviously scary as hell at the same time and i think a lot of that had to do yes with the acting and the directing but with the writing i mean the the writing of that was so amazing like you called out earlier one of my favorite lines in there was the the, i didn't i didn't force you to come into this house i invited you you know and and the whole social norm thing that you were calling out but also the, the the writing of the the thing of you know we're having this he's saying things like we're having this conversation and there's a point where you realize you're going to die like, I'm I'm not going to let you go you know like th- you think that there's something you could say you know there there could be maybe and then th- there's the point where you could see it in your face and it just goes away that there is no possibility you know and. I was like, oh my God, it's dark. <laughs> it's I mean, really even dark. me just saying that, I'm like, oh, I feel <laughs> gross. Uh it's so it's freaky as hell. And it may it it's so brilliant though, because it solidifies the fear in the in in Mikhail, mm-hmm. but also the fear in us as the viewer. Now we know there's nothing that is going to save him. Right. Short of obviously Elizabeth, you know, uh whatever, but it's just so it's it it's a great film that moves slowly and culminates in something really awesome, but has so many great undertones. And, and now that you've brought up the social customs, uh, all of those details, I definitely want to go watch it again with all those in mind. Cause I feel like I would have gotten a whole lot more out of it. Oh, um, looking for those things for sure. So great I love, points.
1: I love how hard he hits the floor. I mean, there's two really big bangers. Um, the him when she like slaps him with the golf club uh, and his jaw dislocates, that's so gross. Um, oh and his teeth God. like hit the floor, like all that is just like oh. Um, but also, whenever she shocks the uh, the, the rapist pig and he collapses, I want to know how they did that because he really smashes down into the floor pretty good, and so I. I would love to see how they accomplish that without destroying this guy's face. <laughs> Cause he's a big guy. That's a lot of weight. People die in this fights by hitting the, the ground. Like people go, you know, wreck their brains, internal bleeding just from being punched one time unconscious and landing on the pavement, landing on yeah. the floor, like to just sit. So I would just love to see how he got that shot because you see him, the actor unless he did some cg work there that's the actor like literally falling down and, and slapping his face onto the floor yeah and and it's quick and it's hard and um and so i'm like did they have some kind of pillow stuff on on the other side of his head to the neck and then he just kind of hit with that and maybe they green screened it out um or did they replace some of the floor with some cushion um yeah like i was
0: just trying to think of that i mean it's definitely sound design yeah you
1: know in post there's like a big
0: big thud they add in post but visually i I don't know i I don't know how do you do that that'd be good to ask aaron yeah
1: yeah that kind of thing you know yeah nice well that's all i got and then some what uh what are you going to recommend this week
0: so i'm going to stick with fincher and uh recommend gone girl I remember watching that movie for the first time and and being very confused in a lot of points and not really getting it but loving it at the same time. And it's very similar to a lot of a lot of stuff that that you know sometimes he just I'm going to make a movie, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to and things are going to happen you're not going to necessarily get it but that's okay cuz uh watch it again. But some crazy stuff happens and it's really interesting character development and uh, the writing is beautiful, and, uh, and the acting is brilliant, too. And I'm not the the biggest uh, Affleck fan, mm-hmm. but I love him in this movie. Uh, I think he's he's strong. Nice. So, yeah. Good Reco.
1: I love Gun Girl. I, I know we'll eventually cover it because I just love it so much. And I love Gillian yeah. Flynn, um, and she's an incredible oh, writer. Gosh. If you haven't seen Sharp Objects, my God. Yeah. And I actually am a big Affleck fan. I would say more often mm-hmm. than not, I... I like his films. Um, The Town is one of those classic, like yeah. where did this come from? Uh, you know, and it's just a solid movie. Um, yeah, nice good recommendation. That's that's such a good good movie. I'm gonna recommend I went to the, the the movies and saw a film that was something very much different than what I expected. Uh I saw Cyrano. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I wanted to. Oh my god, it's so good. What I didn't know was that it's a musical. And so I sit down and the first scene plays and I'm like, Oh, this is cool. Okay. And I'm, I went really, I just saw Peter Dinklage and I was like, I'm in, that's all I needed to know. It's Dinklage. Dinklage is my jam. So the second scene starts and suddenly the lead actor, um, Haley Bennett, she starts singing and I'm like, wait, no, what's happening. Don't do this. (laughs) (laughs) And she starts singing and I'm like, Oh man, I'm really upset for about, I don't know, 30 or 40 seconds, because I hate musicals so much, just more, maybe more on principle than any particular reason. But and then on top of that, I had just watched the night before uh, the new West Side Story. And so she starts singing. I'm like, oh, man, I just sat through one of these. um, and I didn't sign up for this. Uh, But about, I don't know, halfway through her song. I'm like, this actually isn't bad. I'm just I just kind of was still stressed out waiting for the chorus and the chorus never really came. And I was like, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't too bad. And then as the film progressed, the drama was so good. The music was amazing and it was completely different from any other pure musical that we've, uh, that I've seen in that it wasn't in in the tradition of, Sondheim and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. It wasn't all about the chorus. Oh, let's have a great chorus that just smashes the box office or whatever. It wasn't about that at all. It was about melancholy and being deep in your feelings and revealing depth of character. Um, And it was just beautiful. What they stayed away from high pitch. And then the more I kept listening, I was like, man, these tones. God, I was like, man, this would fit in well with, uh, with like warrior. This feels like, man, yeah, you know what? This this feels like the national. Like this feels so like deep and baritone-y and um uh, you know, it it doesn't feel like celebratory and like kitschy, like all which look, if you love Sondheim and Weber, more power to you. That is not for me. I just do not get down with that. No. And so for this to be the antithesis of that, I was just like you're kind of winning me over here, Cyrano. <laughs> like, um, and it didn't take long because at one point, like there's, we're in the barracks and we're seeing like soldiers kind of create a very slow moving uh, cadence with their bayonets. And they're kind of, uh, or maybe not bayonets uh, uh, like they're fencing sticks. They're practicing their fencing. Um, and they're just kind of lightly creating a, a rhythm with their sticks. And I was like, man, this is, and I think at that point I was in, I was like, I felt safe (laughs) with this movie that they weren't going to just kind of pull weird things out of left field. Yeah. And it, it was beautiful. It's might be the first musical I've ever seen. That was an actual musical. Like we did once, uh, but we don't really consider that a musical in it's traditional sense. Um, Yeah. And so this might be the first musical that I not only love because there's other musicals that I'm like, man, that's really good. I just never want to watch it again. Like yeah. Les Miserable. Fantastic. I'm good. Like if, <laughs> yeah. if I could just watch a clip here and there, like if I go watch Anne Hathaway's uh, scene, yeah. I'm good. And maybe Hugh Jackman's scene here or there. I'm good. Like that's worth it. It's so, so powerful, but sitting through, I don't know that whole movie. I keep wanting to go back and watch it. and I'm like, ah, I just can't Cyrano. I want to go back and rewatch. Like I'm actually excited about that. And that's the first time that's ever happened to me. Wow. Um, And so, yeah. And then of course I found out when I went to go rate it on the letterbox. um, I found out, Oh, it was actually written by the national, the music.
0: No. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So good. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going. (laughs) Yeah. I might, I might go tonight.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's so good. That's and awesome. I love it. Yeah, I just I it's yeah I it's, I can't recommend it enough. If great. if you can handle a period piece with a little bit of singing and a lot of great acting, um, because the, all the actors are amazing. Um, Haley Bennett is fantastic. Uh, the writing's fantastic. Peter Dinklage will never let you down. That's the one man in this world that I know I can count on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's funny because the original play was written, you know, I don't know, 150 years ago or something like that. But it was, oh. uh, all I know is, is that it was like rhyming couplets, the whole thing of like multiple syllables. I don't know. It was like eight, yeah. 12 syllables, whatever, but it, it rhymed. The whole thing was a rhyming play. Wow. And so it makes sense that they could take that and actually put it into, a, it put it to music. You know what I mean? That's interesting because I, I, I don't. I'm sure they probably like, you know, wrote verses and stuff that were not part of the play mm-hmm. in order to fit it into what well, I, I have no idea. But I just I wonder the only thing I know about is that it was a rhyming.
1: Because but. there was a a sequence early on at Cyrano's entrance where they seem to rely heavily on probably that old material. And they give it this cadence that I'm like, I hope we're not going into hip hop. But they don't. They, they stay. And it's just very strong in the in the in the couplets and in the phrasing yeah and it works for sure but yeah i cool. anyway, i was only familiar with that story through steve martin's version of roxanne whenever i was a kid i my mm-hmm. family loved steve martin and so i watched a lot of steve martin and, and it was a comedy i was like i didn't know this could be a drama and it's so good yeah so Anyway, I've hyped it up enough. Go, go be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Um, stay tuned for next week. We will dive back into aliens with aliens. <laughs> we, we, we're going to cover James Cameron's follow-up to Ridley Scott's alien and look at alien with a dollar sign through an S um, and, and see what, what, how do you follow up one of the best horror movies of all time, if not the best? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You you don't. You you make a completely different version of it. And so, we'll take a look at that and if you're enjoying the show, don't forget subscribe, leave us a review, whether it's on iTunes or the the Spotify's or Castbox or wherever you get your 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 us, wherever you get your us at, <laughs> uh, do that. And if you want to leave a note on this episode in particular, you can do that at the pessa podcast.com/the girl with the dragon tattoo. And our quote
0: of the day is from Ada Lovelace. Your best and wisest refuge from all troubles is in your science. That's so beautiful and so very much us, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> when I I mean to just to be a little bit a little bit personal, when I am feeling sad or down or or whatever not myself, the thing that makes me feel the best better than riding my bike or like making music or anything just makes me feel the best is to look up space stuff. It's weird, but it just makes everything that I'm feeling or going through feel so unimportant or so small. I would say like, right, like this too will pass. The universe has existed for 14 billion years or longer, however, this too will pass kind of thing. And nothing tells me that more than looking up, you know, or like researching something, learning something new, you know, about the world or the universe or something. And so I, I totally identify with this.
1: That's so you know? cool that you do that. I went and got coffee uh, a couple of weeks ago with our friend Ryan, um, who we will eventually have on the show. Oh, yeah. But we got into this conversation about, I don't know, just being and I don't know if we I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, probably depression and um, just kind of dealing with, uh, I don't know, how do do you cope with a hard time in life sometimes. And I just remember having this this thought like, you know, because it can be easy to get existentialist and then nihilistic and just say, what's the point? Because in a, yeah, in a billion years, this won't matter. Uh, and, and we'll all be dead. And the, the solar system won't even be around anymore. Um, and it, what does any of it matter ultimately? And therefore, why does what I do today or tomorrow matter? Blah, 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 you can just really talk yourself into the abyss and start getting that kind of existential dread. And for me, the thing that I started thinking about, I was like, man, I think, the the getting into the meaning short of religion um was like man i think maybe the the purpose is you know the miracle of being alive in itself you owe your 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 existence to life like it's it's incredible that we're here um it's it's really amazing it's a miracle and it 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 would be a shame to just waste it to not do something that you love and to not, you know, pour yourself into it um, because the fact that you're here is a miracle um, and you owe it to existence. You owe it to life, um, to that tree that can experience its own, you know, aliveness um, to, to go forward and, and experience life. But the reason I picked this quote, Ada Lovelace is the first uh, programmer, computer programmer. Like uh, if you go back in history and see her contributions. Uh, and I just love that. Um, and, I, and I think it speaks to Elizabeth, right? Your best and wisest refuge from all troubles is in your science. And I think that's what she does ultimately whenever she feels like she doesn't understand the world or, um, that she doesn't, or maybe that she understands it too well and that she just doesn't like it. She retreats back into her science, whatever that is for her, for her that's investigating and maybe bringing justice into the world uh, in ways that she didn't get. Um, she brings it to other people. And so I just really liked that idea. Um, and I was just curious to see what Ada had to say uh, in general and found that. And I was like, yes, I love that. Yeah.
0: I love the quote you pick, man. So good. Thanks, man. So good. Great way to end this. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, had a great time doing Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So awesome. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it too. As Wes said, please subscribe, review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Share with your friends. And let us know if there is another film that you'd like to to see us do uh, or hear what we think about. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below if you get this on YouTube or, or wherever. Uh, until next week, where we're covering aliens. I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies.